Coming to you from the AWP Annual Conference at the Portland Convention Center, I'm Anthony. And I'm Cece. And you're listening to Lit Pop Bang. All right, thanks so much for joining us today. We're going to have a weird sort of sound, and that's because we're recording from the floor of the Convention Center um, at the annual Association of Writers and Writing Programs Conference yes. here in beautiful Portland, Oregon. We have a great episode today and a great, great guest today. We always is, have great guests. We always have great guests. We do, but we, we have an yeah, extra special, I don't wanna, I don't brag. an extraordinary guest we, We're today. pretty good at booking. Um, <laughs> we're pretty good at booking. <laughs> but we do have a really, really uh, great guest today. Um, coming to us is a very talented poet, Chen Chen. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so we're going to read the bio, and then we're going to ask you, like, about the real, real you. So sure. let me read the, this is the, the traditional bio. <laughs> Chen Chen is the author of When I Grow Up, I Want to Be a List of Further Possibilities, which was long listed for the National Book Award and won the Tom Gunn Award, yes. among uh, many other honors. It's a fantastic book. Um, Blood Axe Books will be publishing the UK edition in 2019. He's also the author of four chat books. Most recently, You Must Use the Word Smoothie, a craft essay in 50 writing prompts. Um, and that's coming from Sundress this spring. Um, as well as Gusentite, uh, in collaboration with Sam Herschel Wine, and forthcoming from Glass Poetry. Um, he's a recipient of fellowships from Kundiman and the National Endowment from Arts. His work appeared in many publications, including Poem a Day, The Massachusetts Review, Best American Poetry, Best American Non-Required Reading, etc., and so on. He holds an MFA from Syracuse University and a PhD from Texas Tech University. He teaches at Brandeis University and as the Jacob Zizkind poet in residence. Thank you for nodding at me. And runs, uh, co-runs the journal Underblong. Um, again, thank you so much for joining us. That's your official, like, yeah. real, send me your bio, here's my bio mm-hmm. bio. But tell us something that is uh, you that's not on the bio. Something that's not in the bio. Anything um, personal or something you like to do outside of poetry or... I watch a lot of TV. Oh, great. Right so... Yeah, I just started, um, my partner my partner and I have been watching the show, um, Pen15. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah my partner yes. is trying to sell that to me. It's <laughs> really Hulu. good, right? It's so good. Yeah. Uh, we've already watched, like, five or six episodes, and there's one episode in particular. I don't know if I've ever seen my partner laugh so hard at this one scene. I think part of it is because he's a musician, and the scene involves one of the characters... Uh, playing or attempting to play an instrument Um, and it's just hilarious but yeah so it stars these two women who are playing themselves as middle schoolers and so like everyone else is the right age Um, but they're you know kind of looking back on this time in their lives uh, and all the awkwardnesses and pains growing pains um, and first crushes and school and all of that so um yeah it takes you back to that time in in kind of a really detailed uncomfortable way but it's really funny (laughs) yeah those are my favorite like teen and tween shows are the ones Uh that are like oh being that age is so uncomfortable yeah i can't rewatch stuff like that it's it's traumatic for me yeah too many (laughs) memories (laughs) yeah um, so uh, let's get into uh, talking about your work. Um, I saw on social media actually that you're sharing the chat book I mentioned. You yeah. must use the word smoothie here at WP. Is this like the official or unofficial release? Yeah, it's here. Cool. Yeah, awesome. It's Sundress Publications, their table in the book fair. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Can you talk a bit about uh, what's in that? It's a, a craft book, right? Yeah. Um, and then uh, launching at WP and what that means? Yeah, so I'm really thrilled to be a part of this inaugural series um, from Sundress uh, of craft chat books. 
And so each of them is like an essay, essay length um, piece um, focused on some specific element of craft. Um, so for mine, I originally pitched um, a more traditional kind of craft essay, but then I just didn't write it. <laughs> um, and as time passed, I really wanted to do something different with the format. Um, and I was tweeting, <laughs> as I do, um, all of these prompts, um, you know, just in response to things that were happening in the literary world or things that students have brought up. Um, and so there seemed to be some interest in those, in those prompts. Uh, and so I started wondering what if I assembled these? What if I collected them and put them into one, um, yeah, small collection? Um, and so that's uh, what I ended up with. That's great. The craft chapter. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I think, were you going to ask about social media? No, I wasn't no, going to. I was going to ask about social media. Yeah, but I great. have a, well, I have a, I have a follow up to yeah, the chapbook sure. question. So um, I wanted to know you have two previous chapbooks as well, right? Yeah. In addition to the one that's coming yeah. out on Sundress. Yeah. Uh, right. So I'm interested in you talking to our readers or our listeners a little bit about the process of having a chapbook and actually like the difference between that and the full length collection and how you get your work out. Are you concerned, like, do you enjoy publishing sort of chapbooks first or are you ultimately trying to collect collect for a full length or you know people are probably wondering like about you know what your preference is and how yeah. that and how that works in the literary especially world. having success with your first your big full length right um, and, and like what that means for looking at what's next yeah yeah, yeah I really love chapbooks that's what that's what I was and, that's what I thought <laughs> right I just think they're yeah for poetry kind of the perfect unit <laughs> yeah. um, because you can you know read it in one sitting or yeah. you can read it straight through um, and full lengths aren't really meant to be um, read that way for the most part. Um, and they can be trickier to organize. Um, I mean, for some people, it's almost as if they're putting like three chapbooks together. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen that. So like each section right. um, is kind of like that smaller body of work. Uh, but yeah, chapbooks are wonderful. And I, I love also... Um, just how they become these like collectors' items mm -hmm. yeah, um, for poets, uh, because they're often limited edition, um, okay. and you know like hand sewn or okay. letterpress printing. Yeah, um, and so they're these really beautiful. They become aesthetic their own, objects. Yeah, yeah, they become their own ephemera yeah. and sort of yeah beautiful Absolutely. objects in and of themselves. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You get that that hype around it about having like the limited edition thing, but it's right. also like. I, I think about what you said a lot too, that, that idea that like, it's weird that we're consuming full-length books as mm -hmm. a standard unit. Americans when, do that. Yeah. British British actually, they're very much into the pamphlet as, mm -hmm. or they, they call it the pamphlet, but it really yeah. is a chapbook. Yeah. The Brits are really into that as a format. They really yeah. love that, you know? Yeah. And so it's interesting that America is very focused on the full-length while yeah. other places are very much into the chapbook. Yeah. yeah. Love me some chaps. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I was going to ask about social media, and you mentioned Twitter, uh -huh. and you kill it on Twitter. Oh, thank you, you. Yeah. You have like 15,000 followers, and you're saying both like entertaining, but also insightful stuff. Yes. And, um, you're talking about your life as a writer, as a queer person, as an Asian person, as a queer Asian writer, um, the intersection of that. And I was just wondering um, what you think about Twitter and, and, and how, why you choose to do that to be so vocal, especially as it relates to like the market? Like, are you worried about like what your institutions think of you on Twitter or is that a consideration mm -hmm. or no? Or That's a great question. Yeah. So I joined Twitter in 2013. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels like 
a century ago, yeah. um, in terms of internet time. Um, and I really was overwhelmed by it initially and didn't quite understand how to use the platform. So it's taken me a while to figure out what you know sounds like me yeah. on there. Um, it's like a whole genre of writing yeah. in and of itself. Yeah. Um, and I think it appeals to me as a poet as well because of the length requirement um, or restriction, I guess. Um, so it's now 240 characters. Yeah. On it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to be able to fit something into that concise format um, is appealing to me uh, as well. Um, and so sometimes I treat it as kind of um, a first draft if I'm thinking through something yeah. um, related to craft or process. Um, occasionally, uh, you know, a line for a poem will like, occur to me um, through a tweet. Um, yeah. Ah, yeah. inspiration. Yeah, so... Oh, it serves for that purpose as well. That's right. excellent. Because yeah. I figure if I'm on there <laughs> anyway, I might as well use it. <laughs> sure, um, we all should. As much as I can. Um, but then it's just been really great to see the level of engagement and the response from other people, other writers yeah. on there, readers, other teachers. Um, and there's just so much sharing of poems, uh, also ideas for you know, the classroom, ideas for reading series, podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I learn about so much um, on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. It's, it's, it's definitely a double-edged sword. It's a really amazing platform. And then it's also like, you know, a constant trash fire. Yes, <laughs> as well. Yes, as well. it also is a mosh pit. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but no, I, I love what you're saying about using it as inspiration. And yeah. sometimes uh -huh. you can get lines for poems from tweets, uh -huh. yours or other people's maybe. Yeah. yeah. And as to the oh the second part of your question, how if I ever worry about saying oh, yeah. stuff, um, I guess not really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I think that it's really important um, to be honest about um, how certain things work. Yeah. Um, you know, in academia and literary spaces. Um, I think because, yeah, so often in kind of the more official institutionalized spaces, we don't talk so openly mm. uh, about those things. And so, um, yeah, I want to encourage, but I always, I try to put it in sort of a larger context or um, open it up as a conversation um, rather than just venting, I hope. <laughs> but sometimes, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Sometimes you just vent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's tough, for sure, navigating that space of being, like, yeah. whole and honest in public. Uh, yeah, I try. I, yeah, I avoid it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Twitter, but I'm, yeah. I'm rarely honest and open about a lot of things that I mm -hmm. feel. Because I do feel like people are watching and kind of judging. And I don't know. I feel, like, I feel pressure from the outside about, you yeah. know, maybe that's because I'm not... I'm not a real poet in the world yet. Maybe maybe I feel like once I become one, maybe I can be more, um, you know, I don't know, honest you feel or critical. That way? I do, yeah. yeah. Like your yeah, poetry yeah. hasn't got you to the place where you can, like, 
like excuse your behavior. <laughs> no, 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 not my trash behavior. Yeah. No, I mean, being, no, I mean be, being critical of the system, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, or academia, right? Uh-huh. I feel like you know, if you're looking for a job, people are totally like you know mm-hmm. watching yeah. social media to yeah. see what you're, you know, especially yeah. as a person of color. I feel like I don't know. I feel like that's even more contentious. I feel mm-hmm. like you know about. Um, how we're supposed to align ourselves or how yeah. we're supposed to like kind of get in line or whatever, you know, which I don't believe in, but I just sort of try to keep my mouth shut. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Sort of, yeah. Until you're on the tenure track yeah, or until what, tenure. We can't say that on here on <laughs> Lip Hop, but we can't. We're, next question on that, on that one. Yeah. Um, I do have a question specifically yeah. about your book. Um, I want to ask about a specific poem that's in this in the yeah. book. Um, you, the poem is entitled "I'm not I'm not a religious person, but it doesn't yeah. have ellipsis after it, yeah. but kind of that." Yeah. Um, and also, you um, engage with ideas about religion and God, uh, you know, occasionally mm-hmm. in this book. So I'm really interested, and you can decline if you'd like to about um, what your thoughts are about religion and how did you feel about kind of exposing that in your first collection. Um. Yeah. <laughs> That's a deep question, I know. Yeah. Let me think. Um, yeah, I didn't really grow up with um, any particular religious affiliation. Okay. Um, my parents... Well, it's interesting because my dad did study religion um, in grad school at one point early on, but it was more of an intellectual interest sure. than a personal one. Mm-hmm. And then my mom, when we were living in Amherst, Massachusetts, um, yeah, we would sometimes go to church, maybe church events more than like church itself. Um, and I think it was more for a community because ah. uh, it was... Um, yeah, there are a lot of um, Chinese immigrants and Chinese Americans at this particular right. church um, in Amherst. Um, and so what I remember from that time, um, well, two things. One, um, I did go to like a summer camp thing that Uh-oh. was there, like a day camp. That was very interesting. It was like a Bible study kind of thing. Uh, I was summer like, Bible school? Yeah, and I was like, I don't really know anything about the Bible, actually. Like the other kids were much more adept yeah. <laughs> at doing the camp than I was. Um, but I talk about that in another poem um, in the book. Uh, I mentioned that yeah. experience right. because it was free. <laughs> so it was like, oh, something to do in the summer. Um, but I have this other vivid memory of um, sitting in one of the rooms um, in the church uh, while my mom was um, talking to some of the women that she knew there. Um, and I brought a copy of Philip Pullman's The Golden Compass with Aww. me. Um, and was reading it. And so I just remember like that specific <laughs> book in that specific place. Yeah. And it's so interesting because like that series <laughs> ends up being um, pretty <laughs> um, like anti-organized religion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I didn't really think about it at the time. Um, yeah, so that's, I don't know, but I, I guess I've always been curious about different religious traditions um, and I'm always struck in poetry in particular well one just the way that a poem can be like a prayer yes. um, and be this sort of like meditative yes. moment yes. or have that character or form to it um, but then yeah this strange thing where yeah a poem can address God or engage God or other deities in some kind of dialogue um, and it doesn't necessarily have to come from a religious place mm-hmm. um, but 
Yeah, because I, I was thinking about how poems have all these different speakers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it can, be, it can be versions of yourself, they can be you know, more fictionalized. Um, and so along with that, there can also be different addressees um, right. within the right. poem that the speaker mm -hmm. is engaged with. Yeah. Wow. So. Yeah, that's 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 the gist of what I was trying to get at. Yeah. I think it's a poem. It's a poem in which it feels like you're questioning. You know, you're you're pondering these questions. Yeah. So I think you know um, that feels to me uh, progressive and I don't know avant-garde. You don't often see that all the time in poetry. Oh, thank you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, in Boston, uh, there's uh, Boston University. I think uh, holds a Knot Prize every year, what's, which what's is that? the only annual poetry prize for people writing about atheism and non-religious. Non-religiousness. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Just stuff. Yeah. Um, so anyway. one last thing I want to ask you was, um, you're represented by a speaking agency, right? Yeah. Um, by um, Blue Flower Arts. Mm -hmm. um, and can you talk about how that experience is um, to, to be a poet who is represented by a speaker's agency um, and what that means for you now versus when you're a poet who wasn't represented by yeah. them? Um, they're enormously helpful. Yeah, and I feel very fortunate to be working with them. Um, yeah, someone from Blue Flower um, spoke with Peter Connors, who's the publisher at BOA Editions, right. uh, my press. Um, and they were interested in um, working with me and um, other poets from the press. Um, and so that started the conversation, but it took a long time until um, things sort of got all like settled. Um, and so, yeah, I've been on tour already with my book. Um, yeah, this must have been like last year, because um, it already been a year. Um, and yeah, I was organizing um, a lot of my own readings. Mm. So reaching out to people, mm. um, venues, uh, you know, schools, bookstores, um, you know, trying to use like my poet network <laughs> to the best of my ability. Um, and it was really hard. <laughs> yeah, it is, and taxing. Um, and then, I mean, also, I mean, luckily, um, a lot of people started reaching out as well as the book started to gain um some attention and yeah so all of a sudden i was just juggling a lot more um just my email volume of like email rose exponentially uh and so i started to feel kind of overwhelmed um with um organizing everything and then traveling so much um so yeah then it was so it's great that um blue flower was interested in working with me but i actually had a lot of trouble um, getting to the point uh, where, because like I still had these events um, that I'd started to um, uh, book, I guess, um, and uh, negotiate and talk to um, the organizers about. Um, but I was supposed to hand over the reins, basically, to mm. the agent. Mm. And I had a lot of trouble doing that. It took me like three months um, to actually sign the contract they sent me and then to like send them all the information about the events that I had already agreed to doing um, and I think it was because I was really freaked out actually about uh, letting go and allowing sure. someone else to <laughs> help sure um, and so I think the main thing that's changed is that I am 
much more accepting <laughs> of help <laughs> um, and sort of understanding like how much is on my plate, how much sort of should be on my plate, and um, what I can do to, because um, I mean, like help myself. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. I think so, it, it sounds kind of like when you become president, they take your BlackBerry. It's like, you know, your whole life, <laughs> yeah, so your whole, your hands, your whole yeah. life kind of changes, you know, going to, yeah, and I don't know, you know, in yeah. a weird sort of way. And uh, actually, I have a question that's kind yeah. of a piggyback on that, but in a different way. Yeah. Also, your first um, full-length collection is going to be published at Blood Axe yeah. in, in the UK. Yeah. I was very interested in that. And can you tell uh, the listeners how that came about? Um, I know a little bit about the UK. My first collection was published mm. in the UK. So, um, but um, many Many people don't know uh, kind of the history behind Blood X, but it's a fantastic um, publisher. A lot of the greats um, from the UK, Carol Ann Duffy, yeah. have been on that. Have been on that label. So I just wondered how that came about. Yeah, they're really wonderful. Um, so Neil Atsley, the editor at Blood X Books, um, he actually reached out to um, yeah my press here, um, Bow Editions. So he spoke to Peter Connors there um, about. Yeah, republishing it in a UK edition. Um, so I didn't really do anything. Yeah. <laughs> anything so he reached out. Yeah, he reached out. Different. And then Peter contacted me um, and was like, oh, they're interested. And, you know, it sounds really great. Like, what do you think? Um, and so they, yeah, sent over a contract. It happened really quickly, like within a week. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so... And, and, this it, and is it out yet? Is it? it it's it, out in June in the UK. Yeah. Okay. And are, are you going to tour in the UK as well? Um, Look at me putting on pressure. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. Uh, I don't have any plans to do so yet. Okay. Because um, it's just difficult. Yeah. <laughs> International travel. Yeah. Um, but I would. I would like to eventually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it'll be great. There, the Brits are great. I think in terms about literature, they're so knowledgeable about mm -hmm. so many things that I feel like I don't know. Americans are a little, you know, not not so knowledgeable. We're not the, po the poetry audience. Not so yeah. not so knowledgeable is my politically correct answer. Um, and that that all came sort of after the book had blown up here. Yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah. I guess yeah, it came about. I think also because. Um, the two presses already have a bit of a relationship oh, with one okay. another. So, okay. like, they did a UK edition of, I think, um, one of Naomi Shihab Nye's books, yeah. one of Kim Adonizio's books. Yeah, Kim. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that's all of our questions. Um, but is there anything else you want to talk to or go back to or anything like that? Yeah. So I was thinking again about your question about chapbooks. Um, and more specifically... Um, there's two chapbooks that um, I published before right. uh, the full length came out. And um, those two were really um, these projects where I was exploring two different uh, veins in my writing. Uh, so the first one, Set the Garden Fire, um, was much more kind of lyric narrative, um, much more directly autobiographical. Mm. Um, and then the second one, Kissing the Sinks, uh, is a lot more surreal and um, has these like prose poems and um, is a little more experimental. And I, so I mentioned that uh, just to say that um, the chapbooks were a really good way for me to um, explore some aesthetic tendencies and what I wanted to do um, before sort of tackling the full length. Um, and there's there's a bit less pressure writing yeah. on it as well, uh, I think, which was uh, helpful for me as yeah someone who's 
was figuring out a lot of things yeah. in his writing. Yeah, and yeah. also it seems like um, having the ability having the ability to explore those two different kinds of aesthetic choices mm-hmm. are different than what you could put into a full length, right? Because mm-hmm. a full length has to have like, you More know, cohesion. exactly a yeah. theme. It has to, you know, have an arc and all mm-hmm. of those sorts of things. And so, you know, having the chat books and being able to kind of dabble a little bit, play, mm-hmm. you know, that's what poets should do. Yeah. yeah. Have yeah. the possibility to do at mm-hmm. least. Yeah. And I also love the, the chat book just because um, the mere shape of it is something that lends to things you can't get with a full-length book, yeah. right? Like, often, full-length book now are considered, they have to have some sort of arc. It just can't be yes. collected poems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that looks very different, you know, 48 to 60 pages yeah. than it does 15 to 30 pages. Yeah, right? I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I like, going back to what Shenzhen was saying earlier, I like also the, the visual aspect of chapbooks. They're beautiful. A lot of them are handsome, like yeah. you were saying. And, and, you know, that just, that's, that's fun and enjoyable. And, you know, yeah. they're like collector's items. Yeah, yeah. Get that. And I think sometimes um, publishers of chapbooks are also maybe a little more willing to do um, oh. uh, experimental things oh. in the presentation. Yeah. Um, you know, combining image and text or... Um, you know, having a lot of weird white space. Or, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, we're seeing that more in, in full lengths as well. But yeah. I think it, it's great to see um, yeah, uh, publishers that focus on chapbooks um, sort of be willing to take on uh, maybe riskier projects. Yeah. 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 Well, cool. That's it from us. Thank you so yeah. much for Thank taking you. time out of your AWP schedule to join us. Thanks so it's much for all your questions. To you. Yes, yeah. yeah. We know everyone's so busy. We're happy to have you. Yeah. That was my pleasure. All right, welcome back. We're here with the pop portion of the podcast. It's just Anthony and I. It's just us. Yeah, Chen Chen had to go again. Busy. Busy conference schedule. Yeah, that's what happens. um, But glad he could join us. We're going to talk about some of the things going on this month. Yes. You want to start with something? Um, are we going to talk about Queer Eye? We have to talk about Queer Eye. I mean, so have you been watching? Look, have I have. You been? I've almost finished a new season. Okay, so. you're further than I am. Yeah. I'm only a couple episodes in. Cool. So for those who don't know, the new season, season three of Queer Eye um, has started. It's back. It came out a few weeks ago as we're recording this. Missouri. Um, uh, yeah, Kansas City, Missouri. Um, so they're sort of keeping it in that... They're not traveling too far uh, yeah, yet. Yeah, they, jo- they were in Atlanta. They were Atlanta, in Atlanta, Atlanta yeah, Georgia yeah. For, so, for a while. In or around Kansas City this right. season, some right. really interesting stories this season, including the first lesbian. Lesbian, yeah. Really, have you seen that episode yep. yet? Great episode. Great episode. So good. Great episode. Um, I also feel like there's an episode with a gamer. Yeah, that was, that was that gamer episode was... <laughs> Oh, yeah. I um, mean, but everybody deserves love, as Jonathan uh, would say. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, even gamers that dress like Duck Dynasty. Yeah. <laughs> he, um, the, the gamers, the gamer kid was weird. I loved him. Right. Really awkward. The hunters. The oh, act- that's what I'm saying. The hunters. Yeah. yeah the I'm hunters. Talk- oh, you're talking game, like game oh. hunting. I'm talking about video oh, gamer. Ga- no, I haven't seen this episode right, cool. yet. So that Don't was cool spoil too. it for me. I won't. Okay. So, yeah, there's one of the interesting ones. The first one is hunters, right? Right. Yeah. Right. And, uh, con- Probably conservative. Right. Uh, they didn't say. Corrections officer. Right. Oh, yeah. Female her, corrections yeah, officer. Her and which her is, husband both dressed in like full own woodland guns, print. Own guns. We're shooting when the Fat Five showed up. <sighs> yeah. It's um, lots of stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know what's really new? Uh, also new about the season? They adopted a little dog. Uh, yes. 
I yeah, they have that. a little dog that shows up, and that's wonderful. Do we know the dog's name? Pierre. No, it's no, um, something with a B. Bruling. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So cute. Uh, yeah, really adorable. Like a pug? Is um, it? Is it a pug? It's a French. Oh. a Frenchie. A French bulldog. A French bulldog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which yeah. looks just like pugs, but with like cooler ears. Yeah. Um, so cute. Very, very cute. Um, yeah. yeah. The lesbian episode is heartbreaking. So heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, but then there's a gamer kid. Like I haven't seen this. Young one. black, youngish, like twenty. Okay. Uh, black dude. Uh, into like fandom, like anime and online gaming, oh. and uh, yeah, and his sister is the one who like wants to get him who, who off nominated, the computer. Yeah, she nominated yeah, yeah, him. Yeah. Great, it's very, yeah. sweet, it's very sweet. Episode. Yeah, but the whole episode, we're all excited about the new season, yeah. and they're supposed to be in Tokyo. Or I'm pretty sure. Is it like a special or is it season four? It's a shortened season four, I think, is or or some I don't know, limited edition. Yeah. 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 They're going overseas. They're going overseas. I'm excited about that. that Um I will say this too. My ranking has changed dramatically. Oh, what's the new ranking? What's the new ranking? Don't put don't say Bobby. Bobby I mean no (laughs) Bobby (laughs) Bobby went from four, my fourth favorite. To my number one favorite, Bobby's Why? my favorite because Why? a couple things. One, he was just like, he was just like vanilla before. He was just plain, right? He was unflavored, normal. He is flavored. unflavored. No, he's not. Every episode, he builds a whole house, right? Like, well, they're like spend like an hour talking, like, and everyone's work is important except for uh, Antony's. Um, but <laughs> but Bobby, Bobby is building a whole house, right? And then he's also like. Like, it's easy to cast him as, like, oh, he's the least femme, but it's not... I don't think that's true. I think he, like, is interesting and, like, sensitive and and um, shows his real self at different times and I in different ways true. than I the think, rest of them. And, and he, he also can be uh, vulnerable. I That part I yeah. see about Bobby. He can yeah. be vulnerable yeah. in spaces. That I about, like, he, leaving the church? Yeah. yeah I think that part very, very vulnerable. He's still at the bottom of my list, but I, <laughs> but I love that he can be vulnerable. I think that's really cool. My list hasn't changed. Tan's still number one. I think Tan's three. I think it's, Tan, I think oh it's Bobby. I think Tan's maybe fourth for me. And that's not because I don't like Tan. I just think it's, like... Bobby, Jonathan, Karamo, Tan, and then Anthony Lass. Yeah. My ranking, are we ranking by who we like or what they do best for the show? See, I think the rankings can change depending upon what the what the list actually yeah, is. Yeah, the metrics, yeah. Right. I think those things go hand in hand for me, but I could see, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because Karamo, I feel like, does a lot of work. I think attractiveness would totally be... Re- re- Recycle, I rearrange my whole, my whole list. Well, oh, retractiveness yeah. would change it. Yeah. Okay, well. We're almost number one, of course. We're, we're going to have to have multiple lists here on Lip Pop Bang for the Queer Eye. But right now, we have, to, we have to get back to pop culture. All right, I have one, too, I really want to talk okay, about. Uh, speaking of Queer Eyes oh, and Fab Fives. I like it. Uh, I, did you hear about Mel B from I The Spice Girls? Let me tell you about Mel B from The Spice Girls. Oh, right. back to the 90s. Uh, back this, to is, the, this is your era. Yes. You this, love it. I guess it is. It I is. Guess, I do love the 90s. It is, you do. Uh, right, so, uh, Melanie Brown, a.k.a. Mel, Mel B, yeah. a.k.a. Scary Spice, uh, was recently interviewed by Piers Morgan, mm-hmm. who I know sucks, but... Yeah, he does. Um, he has a show, Life Stories, and... Um, she was on it, and in the interview, she mentioned having hooked up with Jerry Hallowell, a.k.a. Ginger Spice, back when they were touring when they were younger. So what does that mean for the Spice Girls? Uh, I think it's tough, right? The, I mean, do the Spice Girls mean... Do they have a legacy? Yeah, they have a legacy, for sure, right? They're, they may not be pop stars anymore, but they are... That's true. They are, like... They have a, mom, a place in pop history. That's true. Right? Yeah, yeah. But what, how does this change the way the world sees them? Well, I think on one hand, like... I think on one hand, it's like, who cares, right? Okay. Um, 
it, old pop stars slept together, right? Right. As an all-girl group, they were touring together. Right. Of course they slept together, right? Right. Well. But on the other hand, I think for, like, young queer folks who grew up loving Spice Girls. Right. And thinking that they were heterosexual. Right. 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 Assuming that. How much this changes. It changes the dynamic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Totally. So, right. Uh, they become latent queer heroes, kind of. Yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah, they're yeah. crushes. Maybe back that in should the be day. the title of the show: Late, latent, latent queer, queer heroes. heroes. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah, I think like um, so. Me and my closest friends, my closest friends, um, the, the people who are close to me, my queer family, yeah. are, are all women who sleep with women, queer, bi, lesbian women, and they were oh they were and they're also like in their 30s right all yeah. so hyped about it right? oh, okay so hyped about it to hear right. that the people they grew up crushing on and idolizing uh were hooking up at the time but i also so. think it's more important that they, that she's sort of making this announcement like you know and telling the world like what happened i think that's yeah. bold in and of itself you know yeah what I'm yeah I'm, actually here i wrote the script and the, what she said is really interesting oh, too in, in that regard it? too so um Human Toad Piers Morgans asks, uh, there were rumors that you and Jerry were more than good friends, that you had a little dabble. And she said, she's going to hate me for this because she's all posh and in her country house with her husband. Oh. It's a fact. It just happened and we giggled at it and that was it. Um, and then she added, she had great boobs. But so I think like, yeah, I think like yeah. what it means to them now is sort of part of the conversation, right? She's saying like, Jerry's a respectable middle-aged woman now, but right. we used to be the Spice Girls. <laughs> we used to be spicier than you thought. <laughs> so we're really excited. We're here at AWP, and we're going to do something a little bit different for Bang this uh, go-round. Yeah, we thought we're here. We have a crowd. We have a, you know hundreds and hundreds of writers and readers here. We thought we'd mix it up. So, so we're going to go around, and we're going to ask people what their most interesting or best experience was here at AWP? Yeah, so if the audio sounds a little weird, it's because we're traveling around the convention center, we're going to be recording on a remote device for our standard mic. Um, we're going to ask everyone the same question, what's the most interesting thing you saw here? Yeah. And we're hopefully we're going to get some cool answers out of it. Yeah, hopefully. And it could be anything, it, right? It could be like a, a cool panel, or it could be a cool interaction with yeah. a writer, anything. Could be that registration line. Uh. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, so next you're going to hear that. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Monica Prince, and the most interesting thing I saw at AWP this year was the swamp ape who's just walking around in an ape costume, offering to take pictures with them. It is terrifying. I never make eye contact. I've walked past them twice, and I'm just like, this is very cool, but I'm really terrified. So I'm just going to keep walking and pretend like you are not here. That's the most interesting thing I saw at AWP. My name is Anne Marie, and the most interesting thing that I heard this year at AWP was uh, the registration line was uh, hours long on the first day. And that evening we went to a queer mixer and talked to this person who said that part of their line um, got broken off and they were just circling the infamous pendulum in the conference center uh, foyer. And I thought that was such a wonderful um, story. Hi, my name is Marlena Chertok, and the most interesting thing I've seen at, AW, at AWP 2019 was at the panel Writing Against Assumptions on Creating Diverse Narrators, and 
it was a, a panel that they offered Skype option for two disabled panelists, and they were up on the large screen, not even in the building, and able to participate and engage, and we were able to listen to their thoughts, and it was really great to see um, accessibility as an option here this year. That was great. Hey, my name is Dustin, and the most interesting thing I saw at AWP this year is that I went to a lot of panels, and it seemed like in every single panel that I went to during the Q&A session at the end, there was some problematic old white man who had something really harmful to say that made everybody feel uncomfortable. Hi, my name is Katie Ritchie, and the most interesting thing I saw at AWP this year uh, were the panels on parenting and writing. Um, it can feel very lonely to be a parent, especially of a young child, and uh, to hear other parents talking about their writing process and how they sort of keep things going was really inspirational for me and necessary at this moment in my life. My name is Kristen, and the most interesting thing I saw this year is all the cool swag, the bags and t-shirts, sunglasses, cool buttons. Hey, this is your host, Anthony. I thought we'd finish up by having me and Cece answer the question we've been asking everyone. The most interesting thing I saw this year was actually something really amazing that happened to me. One of the sessions I presented on uh, was at 9 a.m. on the last day of the conference, a conference known for late night readings and even later night drinking. Um, and so we didn't expect a lot of people to come, but not only did people come, but some close friends of mine came and they had brought uh, like 15 donuts for me to hand out to people as sort of a reward for getting up early enough to make it to a 9 a.m. panel. And the audience was not only gracious, but kind of shocked that they got donuts handed out to them. Um, it was just a really nice moment uh, that with my friends I was able to help, able to create here at the conference and I'm really overjoyed that I had that opportunity. So hi, I'm your host Cece and the most interesting thing I saw at AWP, I don't know if it's so much interesting but uh, kind of curious, I went to have drinks with a girlfriend of mine who's also a writer. We went to a local Portland bar that was very near Powell's the bookstore which was super amazing to see. But anyway, she had smuggled in food from another bar and we sat there and she said to me, do you think it's okay that I eat this food? And I said, I don't know. Then she proceeded to open up the box and sort of steal little mini bites from her box of food that came from another bar inside the bar that we were at and about three minutes after her starting to eat the bartender came over and said excuse me ma'am we know that food is from another institution and can you please fucking put it away so that is what happened and that's the most interesting thing um, I experienced while I was at AWP All right, so that's it. That's the episode this month. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, and thanks to Mason Jar Press, who always is our sponsor. And also uh, check us out on Twitter, as normal, uh, at Lip Pop Bang. Yeah, and if you're listening to us, be sure to subscribe, like, all that stuff. Yeah, that helps People notice us. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, and this time, coming from AWP in Portland, this has been Lit Pop Bang. Bang.